pick. Welcome to the Parenting with Confidence podcast. I am your host, Teresa Alexander-Inman, board certified behavior analyst and infant toddler developmental specialist. So my my guest, my host, listen to me. My guest again today is certified trauma and resilience practitioner in education with 22 years of training in special ed, 22 years of experience in special ed, my friend, Suzanne Kramer. It sounds so impressive when you say it that way. (laughs) It is impressive. (laughs) Thank you again for joining me, Suzanne, because I wanted to continue our conversation on trauma and how it affects children and what parents can do, because I hate to leave something without an action. So I know we didn't give an action the last time because of time. However, I would like to go into that today. If you have, if you can indulge me. Okay. Oh, of course. (laughs) Thank you. So I want to actually go just step back a little bit. The last time we spoke and we talked about how trauma can affect children. So I want you to sort of go back into that a little bit and then we'll move forward just so we can tie in our last episode to this episode. Absolutely. Um, I can remember everything we talked about because we always have such good conversations. Um, But one of the things that you had asked and one of the things that we had covered before is that you know, trauma can happen uh, in more ways than we actually realize. We tend to think about trauma as those big things, you know, uh, abuse, a fire, you know, being sexually abused, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there are lots of different forms of trauma and they can actually happen, you know, even before a child is born. Um, if we are going through stressful events or if the mother to be is going through stressful events, you know, we know that causes a whole host of, um, changes and hormonal effects within our body. Um, one of the biggest ones being the release of cortisol um, and adrenaline. And once all those things are released in a mother, you know, by proxy, the child is affected as well. So when you look at the developing nervous system, the developing brain, all those systems are impacted by those. Um, And then once a child is born, particularly if they're, you know, born early, a premature, a child who's born prematurely is going to experience you know, all those stressful things of being in the hospital and depending on what types of medical procedures they endure, those things are stressful. So, and when your body and your brain experience stress, the blood flow, um, a lot of uh, educators I work with call it the lizard brain. The blood flow goes back to that lizard brain and none of the front brain is, you know, or it's severely impacted by that because the blood flow is lessened. So, when you talk about a child whose brain develops, and remember, the brain is 80 to 90% developed between by the ages of five to six. So that's that foundational part of the brain. And if the blood flow isn't going where it's supposed to go, that causes structural changes in the brain. Wow. And it, again, every time you say that, it makes me think of my baby. Um, who's, yes, he's still my baby and yes, he's 36, 
but when he was in the hospital, he needed a blood transfusion. Gosh, did I think of that being as traumatic at the time? No, I didn't. But now I'm realizing, of course, it must have been traumatic for him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and we, we don't, you don't think about those things. And I, I think I relate in the last uh, episode as well. We've experienced this with my own daughter, um, with her vision being impacted. Her vision didn't develop at the time it was supposed to. And so because that didn't happen, her brain made adjustments. And one of the adjustments that they make when one of those five senses is impacted is that your reflex, uh, what we call the primitive reflex, which is instantly going into the fight or flight, that stays in place to help protect the child because they can't see what's going on around them. And in her case, she could only see between five and six feet ahead because she didn't have both eyes working together and teaming, and she didn't have any peripheral vision. So, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, if you can't see the tiger coming on or the lion coming on your left side to eat you, you're going to be on higher alert. So you're, you're essentially safe. And that's what happened to her. So, you know, you learn these things as you go. Wow. Can you talk a little bit more about the flight, fright, you know, mode? Because I... Fight, flight, or freeze. <laughs> yeah, exactly that one. <laughs> yes. And you are just, just like we do when we get into a stressful situation, we become defensive, we freeze, or, you know, we run away. That's everybody does it. It's an evolutionary thing that happens to everyone. Well, that happens to our kiddos too. And we tend not to think of it in that way. We always think of, oh, we, they're just behaving that way for whatever reason. No, there's a reason they behave that way. And particularly for a child who has experienced trauma, even if it's not what we consider trauma abuse, you know, going through a divorce, uh, parents being divorced, um, having those medical procedures, all of those things, secondary trauma, seeing all these things such as the shootings and things going on by proxy that make us afraid our kiddos are going to have those reactions too. Um, if you think about when you tell a child no, or you take something away, some kids are going to cry. Some kids are going to stand there and stare at you. And some kids are going to combat at you, whether that be talking back or whether that be hitting you. Those are natural reactions. That's your fight, flight, or fright. You know, they, it happens to everyone. Yes. And actually what I've heard and correct me if I'm wrong with respect to trauma, children who've experienced trauma, that is always activated. Like they don't even get to the prefrontal cortex because their lizard brain, as you call it, is always activated. So they don't, it makes it difficult for them to learn and to acquire skills. Correct. And we talked about those critical windows of development. That's the foundation. That brain is going to develop, whether it's developing the way it's supposed to, or whether it's developing in a different manner because of trauma or hormones or stress. So that brain develops and that becomes their normal. That becomes their set. That's where their brain is all the time because that's how it's developed. So they're always going to be probably quicker to anger. They're the ones who are always going to be looking around. They're the ones who are not going to be able to sit still. 
You know, if you think about when you're upset or you've had a fight with your significant other, you're not concentrating the way you should, or you're not going to be able to go into an astrophysics class and concentrate the way you're supposed to. Um, the same thing happens for our children. And yet we expect them to go in and sit down and be quiet and listen to your ABCs and read and all those things that we do in kindergarten when they're like this all day long. Right. And they don't have the skills that we have to communicate. You know, I tell parents sometimes, you know, we've been, and I tell teachers, you know, you act this way, you act out of control sometimes. And you've been on this earth a lot longer than these babies, which means you've had some experiences, you're older, you should quote unquote, know better. Absolutely. And the babies don't have the skills, but we expect them, you know, like you said, to sit. Because honestly, that's one of my pet peeves in kindergarten, <laughs> having children sit crisscross applesauce for half an hour in front of the classroom. For me, that is so, I don't know. I don't like it. It feels like torture to me anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, on a side note, which is a whole probably another podcast somewhere, you know, sitting crisscross applesauce. <laughs> your body has to actually do a lot of very complex physical motions to do that. And there's a lot of balance. And if you've experienced, you know, some type of trauma or you haven't developed those things, that is even harder for you to do. So <laughs> there's a whole host of things that are stacked against some of these kiddos from the get-go and it makes it really hard. And the other thing that I think is really difficult for some people to understand is that a lot of times these kiddos are very, very bright. They may, you know, they have incredible memories, largely because a lot of times they have to in order to be safe. So, you know, you may have a child who is memorizing things, who knows their ABCs, or who may be able to, you know, remember things from TV shows or things that they have seen, but emotionally they just, melt down at the wrong times and you're like what is wrong with this child or you know you're so smart why aren't you doing that well they can't you know the social emotional muscles and that ability to control is a lot harder yes it is and it's funny that you say that i recently <laughs> read a book i've started to read it i'm not finished yet um on trauma and it was written by, oh gosh, doctor, I can't remember his name in Oprah Winfrey. Of course, I'll remember Oprah. Um, but it's called What Happened to You? Because instead of asking what's wrong with you. Correct. What happened to you? And I thought that is so deep. Like wording is so important because I remember when we had, um, we had a foster child for a little bit and one day, and honestly, I was exhausted. And he did something. And I went up to him and I was like, what's wrong with you? And then I thought, to, and I said, oh baby, I am so sorry. I apologize. Cause I caught myself immediately. And I was just like, I am so sorry, please forgive me. Um, and then I asked him, why did you do that? And he said, because something's wrong with me. And I was just like, no, nothing's wrong with you. And I, it just, I mean, it just hit me so hard because mm -hmm. I like, you know, I know better, right? I work with children. You would think, but I'm human. 
we're all we're all human and you know we've all had those moments i know i have when you wrestle with yourself like really how bad would it be to give them a cookie no stop we right. all have those moments what some of the best advice that i ever got um from a colleague of mine i worked with is that there are going to be days you can't follow through because you've had a really crappy day at work or you're tired that's okay you tell your child, you know what, this isn't how we usually do things because it's a special day and you move on and you start again tomorrow because tomorrow is another day. That's right. And another really good way to phrase that when you have your child, what were you thinking when you did that? What was going through your head when you did that? Because nine times out of 10, they have a reason and a thought process, even though it's not what we would do. And that helps let you know where they are, and then you can correct it in a better manner. Absolutely. And I just want to add, though, don't ask them that while they're in the middle of a tantrum. Wait till they're calm, because that lizard brain that Suzanne talked about, when it's activated, nobody's thinking. No. So please never try to have a conversation with your child when they are having a tantrum when they are triggered, wait until they're calm. Also, can I add, wait until you're calm as well, because then you're thinking too. Absolutely. I'm going to move while we're doing this. You can see my wonderful messy house because <laughs> my battery is starting to get low and I need to go plug in. So I'm gonna walk and talk. Okay, and hopefully I can do two things at once. And that's all good. You know what? This is real life. And because I don't edit, I don't know anything about editing. I don't edit. And this will just be like, hey, life happens. <laughs> you know, life does happen and it's okay. We adjust and we move on. Amen. <laughs> all right. So if we can go on then to what can parents do? What can we do? What, can, what, what tips can we give parents to help them help their child? Because they're like, pulling their hair out and don't know what to do. They're frustrated. They're hurting. They're, you know, they're in trauma right now. So what can we do to help them? Absolutely. Um, a lot, <laughs> a lot. The biggest thing you can do as a parent is to have your child practice. Practice those social emotional skills like waiting, um, having them engage, have them work on things that are hard, have them work on things that are challenging. Um, and have them communicate what they want. One thing, you know, as a parent, we're all guilty of, to be perfectly honest, is we anticipate our child's needs. Um, we know when, you know, it's three o'clock, they're getting tired, or, you know, it's four o'clock, they're getting hungry, they need a snack. We just give those things because that's what we do, and that is being a good parent. However, when you do that and your child never has to recognize their own hunger, they never have to ask for those things. They never have to ask for help. And then they have a very quick trigger to anger anyways. Then you put them in a classroom where all of a sudden they have to wait. They have to ask for what they need. They have to recognize when they're hungry. And then you're learning things that are really, really hard. And there's all these other kids in your space too. You've really set them up for failure. Yes. <laughs> to be perfectly Thank you honest. For saying that, because I worked with a 14 year old who did not know how to, like, he did not know how to ask for something to eat. So he would have a tantrum, which meant something was torn across the room. You know, there was a lot of, you know, physical aggression and screaming and yelling because he had no idea 
how to connect that feeling with requesting food. So I worked with him on that to help um, address that because mom, you know, she's a cute little thing. And he got to, you know, he was quite tall, quite big for his age. And it was very uncomfortable for her. She was like, she was fearing for her safety and his safety when he got upset. So she made sure that every two hours he had something to eat which didn't help him in acquiring the skill. But listen, mom did the best she could in the moment. Um, and you know, I tell people if it was easy, I wouldn't have a job. So I went in and did my job. <laughs> yes. We don't think about what those things, how those things are gonna translate two years, three years, five years, 10 years. And you know, as parents, we're working, we have a house, we have meals, we have bills to pay. You know, life happens. So there are a lot of times where it's like, oh my gosh, I have to get to work. It'll just be easier if I do X, Y, and Z. Well, that's easier now when your child is two or three or four, but what about when they're eight and when they're nine? And what skills have they learned? And then now they're 14 and they want to see the boyfriend, girlfriend, or they want to drive the car and their needs have always been met. And we're at a point right now where kids really don't have to wait for a lot of things. They don't have to think. We have phones, instant gratification, our, our dolls, <laughs> our toys, our robots, our cars. They all do all those things that you know, they make the sounds, they cry. So there isn't a lot of cognitive energy being spent or that ability to wait or think or work for something. So you put all those things together. And again, your child goes into a classroom and then they have to wait and then they have to learn and do things that are really, really hard. And then they have to negotiate and play. And there's not 10 dolls for everybody that say, mama, it's it's quite a culture shock. And then you have a whole nother trauma on top of everything else. Yes, that is so true. And um, to that, because again, you know, what I try to tell parents, if you do the hard work now, it gets easier later. And when I say now, I mean, from birth to whenever, as soon as we can to when to as long as we can. You know, um, yes, if you don't start receiving services at five, then start at five and go in deep, do the things. Because if you don't do that hard work now, later, like I work with a 42 year old who wouldn't feed himself because he was so used to people feeding him. So I had to, you know, I, and I refused to feed him. And what he would do was hit his head so hard that you can hear it across the room. It sounded like his head was going to split open, but I knew it wouldn't because he had been doing it all of his life. So that part was so, it was hard. So you knew he didn't feel anything because I mean, he's not going to hurt himself that way, right? So I refused to, and I pushed the food back to him and he'd push it to me. And we played this game, you know, initially for about five minutes. And eventually, and people would look at me like, you're being so mean, you're being, so, I was like, first of all, he's 42. There is nothing wrong with his limbs. You know, he just got used to being fed because his parents, they didn't know any better. They had this baby and they just thought because he had a diagnosis that he couldn't feed himself. And let me tell you, after the fourth or fifth time that I pushed that yogurt back to him, he held the cup in one hand, took the spoon in the other hand and fed himself. Now, that eliminated future head punching. 
It does happen. Development is going to happen. It may not happen at the same time. It may not happen at the same pace, but those things are going to happen. And, you know, a good analogy, I hate to do dishes. Absolutely hate to do dishes. If I knew that hitting my head would make somebody do my dishes every day, by golly, I'd have a big old bruise on my head. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do my dishes. It's okay. I don't like it, but it's something that has to be done. And again, you know, kids dressing themselves. It's hard for some kids. Tying your shoes. Yes, those things are hard. Absolutely. Picking up toys. Does anybody really like to clean? Okay, there probably are some people, but, you know, those are all life skills that we have to do. And sometimes they take practice and sometimes doing them and taking a deep breath and doing them calmly. Yeah, it takes practice as well. Absolutely. And I'm going to give you another example because little guy, the um, little guy who we fostered, um, one day he was putting on a tank top because it was a little cool outside. And I said, okay, put the tank top on first and then put your clothes over. And he came to me, he's like, you know, um, mom, can you help me? I said, let me see you try first. And he tried and struggled. I mean, the arm, like he had his neck in the armhole and this and that. And I said, okay, take it off and let's try again. So I put my finger, I stood behind him so he wouldn't even realize I was helping him. So I just held one part with my finger just to guide it. So he put it over his head and he did it. And I was like, look at you, you did it. He felt so proud. I mean, that feeling was just like, whoa. And then it became a game. Every time he went to put his, you know, tank top on, <laughs> mom, can you help me? I said, let me see. I said, you're a problem solver. Let me see you do it. And he did. Now, let me tell you, two days later, I was driving him to the daycare and he sat at the back of the vehicle and he was like, mom, I said, what's up, baby? He said, I just learned to tie my shoelaces. He sat there. So because he had solved this one problem and I referred to him as a problem solver, it gave him the confidence, right? To continue to try and do something that was difficult. In his head, he knew the techniques, but he could never coordinate his hands to, you know, and his brain to do that. But he sat there in the back of that vehicle and he tried and he tried. I didn't have any idea what he was doing because when I looked back at him, I saw his face. I had no idea he was working at his shoelaces <laughs> and he did it. And let me tell you, he was the proudest ever. And so because of that, I wanted him to, I actually had him help another young man um, learn to tie his shoelaces because just to help him, you know, give him that other, that extra boost. It's like, oh, now he's helping. He was six, well, five at the time. And now he's helping a nine-year-old, teaching a nine-year-old to tie shoelaces. Isn't that a confidence boost? That is a huge step. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's something that we, we, uh, we do subconsciously and you have to work at it. But we say, oh, good job. You did X, you did Y, you did Z. Well, if it's a struggle for someone and they're really frustrated to begin with, they're not necessarily going to recognize what it took to get them there. So you always want to say, look how hard you worked, or you want to praise the effort, not just the accomplishment, but praise the effort that it took to get there, especially if it's a kiddo who has a social emotional issue or a trauma or 
something where they don't necessarily respond appropriately. Make sure that you're acknowledging, yeah, that was hard, but look, you overcame, you did it. And I'm thinking of the one friend we had in the classroom. Look at you, you persevered. You That means you kept at it. Yes. And you know, they came back later, I persevered. <laughs> That was beautiful. And, you know, it's funny because I've been reading a lot on growth mindset by Carol Dweck. And it's exactly what she says. Praise the process. Stop praising the A. Stop praising, you know, that big lofty goal. Praise the fact that, wow, you sat down and you worked it out. You stuck with it. You know, look at you. And again, like you said, you're persevering, you're doing, you're working at it. And that is really huge because if we keep, you know, and like there was a teacher, um, I saw this, this was a TED, a TED talk. I think, I feel like I'm speaking so fast because I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> and there was a student, you know, she graded the papers of these students and on one of them, he got two out of 20. And all she put on his paper was plus, plus two. two. Yes, yes. You Why did I do that? This is an F because you didn't miss them all. Exactly. And the next time you do it, you're going to get more. And I, yes, I, I've seen that. I love that. I've watched it actually several times because it's very inspiring to me. Because when you see how many you got wrong, it sucks the breath out of you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see this now in year 22. I see it much more than I did when I first started. And a lot of it, I really do think has to do with the fact that we don't have to wait for things. We don't have to, the toys all do these things for us. Everything is instant. So I, I see a lot of students get frustrated when they don't get things the first time. And the reality is at some point in time, even if you are good at multiple things, there's going to be something you have to work at. And working is hard, it, you know, and it really, can I say sucks? It really sucks when something doesn't go the way we want to, but we come back and we try again. And that's a skill that has to develop just like running, just like any athletic sport, just like any academic, going back and trying again is a skill that we have to practice. And if you have a kiddo who those things are hard for anyways, they're going to need more practice. I actually, I, I very vividly remember this. And out of all my trainings, this is one that stuck with me. It was in uh, MOVE, uh, Mobile Orientation uh, vestibular class that I took uh, for kids with profound disabilities. If you have a child with a profound disability in an area, it's going to take them an average of 2,227 repetitions of that skill before it's something that they generalize or that they acquire and can do regularly. So if you have someone who, a child who can't wait for whatever reason, they're going to have to practice waiting 2,227 times, ideally consecutively for them to get that skill. So if that's something they're waiting on and that's something they're learning, think about how many times a day that you have the opportunity to wait and think about how long that's going to take. Exactly. And they don't have to start by waiting long periods of time. You can just start with yeah. seconds and slowly increase it over time. So the child says, okay, mommy, I want this. All right, sweetheart, 
let me just put this away and then I'll get it for you. And then the next time I have to do this thing, maybe wash the dishes. I have to wash a couple of dishes and then I'll get it. So just put things in the way so that they learn to wait because waiting, like you said, when in life don't we wait? It is such a vital skill to learn. <clears throat> you touched on toys um, that do everything. So you'd prefer than toys where children had to be more creative, had to be more, I'm not saying that all those things are bad, but they do need the time to develop that imagination. They knew, do need that time to plan what they're doing. Okay, I don't have a hat. I can use a pot as a hat, you know, so you're getting some of that creative problem solving. Um, and that pretend play becomes critical as you go on because history, learning, all of those skills require being able to imagine something and put yourself in a place. Reading, once you get past the picture book stage, requires you to have to think about things in your head and have that representation. And if everything is always done for you and you never have a chance to develop that, that becomes problematic and that's going to make reading that much harder. You know, even math at this point in time, you know, a lot of solving word problems and a lot of those technical things, um, STEM, you know, technology, it requires you to have that ability to visualize. So the earlier you can start practicing that. And waiting is also not going first. If you're playing with your child, you know, you know, we always let our kids go first. Sometimes it's your turn to go first and that's okay. Yep. And also losing games, teach them how to lose a game. Um, but even before that, what I want to stress. So while your child is still a baby, while your child is still developing your child who is experienced, I mean, it's, this is true for every child, lots of rocking, lots of hugs, lots of love, because we can help um, love will help them through the traumatic processes because that will help them feel safe. And the safer you help your child feel, the better the outcomes for them. And then we can start teaching all those other skills that we've talked about. And loving your child and holding them doesn't mean that they're not going to be sad. And that doesn't mean there aren't going to be times where, you know, they have to think and work things out for themselves. Exactly. It's, a, it's a balance. <laughs> yes, it is. So Suzanne, again, I thank you for joining me. Can we do this again? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've really enjoyed this. And it's always good to see your smiling face. Face, good to see yours too. So parents, I hope this has been helpful for you. <clears throat> you know, that we've given you some, you know, tips that you can use to help your child. And when you help your child, you really help yourself as well. Okay, so I'm just going to leave you with, please take care of yourself so that you can better show up for your child and be able to parent with confidence. Peace.